all the time, God is good. Now, we can rejoice this morning in that truth. It's a truth that the psalmist would agree with us in regards to the goodness of God. The psalmist wrote Psalm 100, uh, and in this psalm, he talked about the goodness of God. And so I want us to read Psalm 100 together, standing out loud, ready, let's read, shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, acknowledge that Yahweh is God. He made us, and we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for Yahweh is good, and His love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We see the goodness of God all around us. We see God's goodness in His creation, in our lives, and in His Word. We see the goodness of God in our Heroes Sermon Series. We see the goodness of God in the lives, on display in the lives of the heroes of faith in God's Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We've seen the goodness of God In the lives of Abel and Enoch and Noah, we see the goodness of God in Samson's life. Samson is one of the most entertaining and encouraging heroes in God's hall of faith. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 14. We are continuing our hero sermon series. We're in our third exciting week of uh, studying our Old Testament friend Samson. And uh, we are going to review uh, real quick here at the beginning uh, what God has taught us about Samson already up to this point. Judges 14 will be in this passage here in just a moment. We'll move around from this passage this morning, but Judges 14 will be our base of operations for our time of study in God's Word. God has already taught us several truths about Samson. We know, number one, Samson was a man of faith in God. Samson was a member of God's Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, which is encouraging news for you and me today because Samson's faith in God had many flaws. Secondly, we know that Samson was a Nazarite. Samson was consecrated, dedicated, separated to God from birth to fulfill the purposes of God. Third, we know that Samson was a judge of Israel. God's purpose for Samson was to use Samson to begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Samson, fourth point we know, Samson was blessed by God. In Judges chapter 13, right before chapter 14, in verse 24, uh, we read, So the woman gave birth to a son, Miss Manoah gave birth to a son, and named him Samson. The boy grew, and the Lord blessed him. So we see God bless Samson in amazing ways. Samson was blessed to be called by God to serve God and to fulfill the purposes of God. Samson was blessed with godly parents. Samson was blessed with strength from God. Samson was blessed with direction from God. In verse 25 of chapter 13, then the Spirit of the Lord began to direct him, 
Samson, and the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And so we know God began directing Samson to fulfill the purposes that he had for Samson. And we shared last week specifically this key principle of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. When God calls us to faith, God equips us for faith. So if you're taking notes this morning, jot that down somewhere. When God calls us to faith, God equips us for faith. God will never call us to do something by our faith and trust in him that he will not also equip and strengthen us to do the very thing he calls us to do. And we looked at that last Sunday. And then we also know Samson struggled to obey God. The fifth point we know is Samson struggled to obey God. We we see the first sign of Samson's struggle in Judges 14. The very first sign here in Judges 14, let's begin reading in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? Samson told his father, Get her for me because I want her. Now we uh, shared last week that uh, Samson was not the romantic type. Uh, we, we clearly identified that. Samson went down to Timnah, Philistine town, and he saw a young Philistine woman who looked good to him, and he went back to his parents and said, get her for me as a wife. Samson was in lust. He did not know the woman. He had not met the woman. He had not talked with the woman. He had not even been on a date with the woman. He saw the woman and he wanted the young Philistine woman. And so as we discussed last Sunday, Samson disobeyed God in his request for a Philistine wife. Samson knew God's prohibition on the Israelites against intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. The reason for that prohibition was simply this. God knew that if his people, the Israelites, intermarried with the pagan nations around them, that his people would be led away from him. That his people would be led away from worshiping him to worshiping the idols of the pagan nations. He understood and realized his people would be led away from their faith and trust in him to worship the idols of the pagan nations. Instead of bringing those pagan nations to him, they would take them, the Israelites, away from their worship of him, which is exactly what was happening at this point in time. Samson also disobeyed God by disobeying and disrespecting his godly parents. Because as we read, Samson's parents reminded him of God's prohibition against intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. They reminded him and said, can't you find a young woman from our people, not from the Philistines? And so they reminded Samson of this prohibition from the Lord, which Samson no doubt knew in his own heart and mind. We know and understand, based upon what we read in Scripture, that Samson was not focused on pleasing God at this point. Samson was not focused on pleasing his parents. Samson was not focused on pleasing the young Philistine woman. Samson was focused on pleasing Samson. That's where he was. He turned away from God and the blessings of God at this point in time in his life, 
and he turned to lust and selfishness and sin. As many pastors and Bible scholars have said before, Samson was in the wrong place looking for the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, and unfortunately, he found it. And so we see this is the situation with Samson, and now we come to verse 4 in Judges chapter 14. Now his father and mother did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. So let's look back up to verse 3. But his father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or any among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me because I want her. Now, his father and mother, Samson's father and mother, did not know this. This was Samson's desire to go to Timnah to get a Philistine wife. Did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. What an amazing verse. What an amazing verse. Judges 14 and verse 4. Reminds me of the song of praise that Paul wrote in Romans 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and untraceable his ways. We got to focus in on verse 4 because verse 4 is an amazing verse. It's a transition verse for us as we move forward through the rest of the story of Samson. And so we see in this amazing verse, Verse 4, there's, there's some things going on here. There's some things happening. Now, his father and mother, Samson's father and mother didn't know that his desire, the this, his desire to go to Philistine wife, was from the Lord. Here we see an illustration of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility or human freedom. We see a clear illustration here of the sovereignty of God at work in connection with human responsibility or human freedom, if you will. We know, we know, we know, based on this passage, Samson's parents did not approve of Samson and his desire to go to Timnah to find a young Philistine wife because of God's prohibition on the Israelites against intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. We know Samson clearly wanted the young Philistine lady that he laid eyes on as a wife. We know that. We also know Samson's parents, Manoah and Miss Manoah, went to Timnah with Samson to find that young lady. We know this in verse 5. If you look in verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah with, with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly a young lion came roaring at him. So we see what's going on. 
Something happened in verse 4. Something happened in verse 4 that convinced Manoah and Miss Manoah, Samson's parents, to go with him to Timnah. Something happened in that verse. What happened was God, or Almighty God, convinced Manoah and Miss Manoah. And we're not told specifically how. It could have been through Samson and through their conversation with Samson. But what we know is this. God convinced Manoah and Miss Manoah that his plan, that God's purpose and plan, that God's divine purpose and will for Samson would prevail even over Samson's sin and disobedience to God. And so they went with Samson to Timnah in search of that young Philistine woman. So let's identify two points real quick here uh, that we see in this passage, two points, and then we'll look at some application uh, for our lives today and this week because we're always called to live what we learn from God's word. Point number one is this, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign means God is in control. God is the supreme ruler and authority of all things at all times. Therefore, God's divine will and purpose is always accomplished. God is sovereign. There is no one like our God. There is no one greater than our God. There is nothing and no one who can hinder, slow, or stop God. No one, nothing that can hinder, slow, or stop God. And what we see in this passage is God was looking for an occasion against the Philistines. What does this mean? It means this, God's purpose for Israel, God's purpose for Samson, God's purpose to begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines who were ruling over Israel at this point in time was about to begin. God was getting ready to start relieving the rule of the Philistines over the Israelites. Because God wanted his people, the Israelites, to follow his rule, not the Philistines' rule. God was getting ready to relieve Israel from their servitude to the the Philistines. God was getting ready to uh, loosen, if you will, uh, the, the ties there between the ruling Philistines and Israel. God was going to start relieving Israel of the wrongs done to Israel by the Philistines. And God was going to begin doing all this through the work of one man and not an army of men. And we'll see this play out in our study. Through the work of one man, not an army of men. What was getting ready to happen? God was getting ready to use Samson as his judge to begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. God's purpose for Samson and Israel was going to be accomplished. Even with Samson's sin and disobedience to God, God's purpose and will 
for Samson and Israel was going to be accomplished even with Samson's disobedience to God at this point in time. God's purpose and will was accomplished because God's sovereign. He's in control. God was not at the mercy of Samson. God was the master of Samson. He wasn't at the mercy of Samson. He was the master of Samson. And so what we see here in this verse, in this clearly and completely and and admittedly is a summary, a, a short summary yet of this reality, this doctrine, this truth that God is sovereign. Now, the second point we see here is we are responsible for our actions and decisions. The second point we see here is we are responsible for our actions and decisions. Realize God did not cause Samson to sin. God is holy and perfect God. As James told us, God is not tempted to evil. He's not even tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone to evil. No one understands God did not condone Samson's sin. God did not whisper in Samson's ear and say, hey man, don't worry about it at all. I'm going to give you a pass on these sins. I'm going to give you a pass on your uh, poor choice to go and marry a young Philistine woman. I'm going to give you a pass. Just be careful going forward. Don't, Don't do that again. God didn't cause Samson's sin. God didn't condone Samson's sin. We understand and see that clearly. Clearly in this word. Samson, Samson was responsible for his actions and decisions. Samson made a sinful choice to marry the Philistine woman. He went against God's prohibition in regards to intermarriage. Samson was responsible, he was responsible for his sinful choice. Samson was responsible for the consequences of his sinful choice. Samson dealt with the consequences of his sinful choice. However, Samson's sin did not hinder, slow, or stop God. It did not hinder, slow, or stop God and God's plan for Samson and for Israel. We see this truth throughout the Word of God. We see the sovereignty of God and human responsibility interconnected throughout God's Word. In other examples, I'll give you two other examples uh, this morning. We see an Old Testament example, and that example we see is in the story of Joseph's brothers and Joseph. You remember back in the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers hated Joseph. Joseph's brothers plotted to kill Joseph. Joseph's brothers ended up selling Joseph to the Midianite businessmen who were traveling to Egypt. Joseph's brothers then went back to their father Jacob and lied to their father about what happened to Joseph. Joseph's brothers were responsible for their sin and disobedience to God. They were responsible for their sin as they were lying to their father. Did Joseph's brother's sin stop God's plan for Joseph and for Israel? The answer is a resounding no. God was with Joseph and God 
promoted Joseph from the prison to the palace in Egypt as Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of Egypt. He was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Only Pharaoh himself was above Joseph. Why? Because God's purpose for Joseph, from the very beginning, God's purpose for Joseph was to use Joseph to bless and to provide food for the nations of the world during the famine that was to come. And so we see the famine came to Egypt. The book of Genesis tells us, just as the Lord said it was coming, and it was severe, and it was widespread, and the scriptures tell us that there was no food in all of the countries of the world. Everyone ran out of food at that time. There was no food except in the country of Egypt. Why? Because Joseph was the one in charge of Egypt. And so the scripture says all the countries of the world came to Egypt during that famine. They came to Egypt to get food, to buy food, so that they could take it back home, so that they could live and exist and make it through the famine. And part of those who went to Egypt to get the food, to purchase food for their families, was Joseph's brothers. The same guys who had years and years and years before hated Joseph, wanted to kill Joseph. Would have if it hadn't been for one brother who said, no, 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 let's not kill him. And now, years and years later, they're going to Egypt, unbeknownst to them, they're going to Egypt just to get some food to live because their father Jacob said, go get some food. And as they get to Egypt, Joseph sees them. The years certainly changed Joseph, but it didn't change the brothers from Joseph's perspective. Joseph saw his brothers And over a period of time, he ultimately revealed himself to his brothers, and his brothers freaked out. And rightfully so, because immediately they realized, oh, no. I mean, just imagine. Joseph is large and in charge. We're done. We're done. And listen to what Joseph said in Genesis 50 and verse 20 as he's talking to his brothers. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result, the survival of many people. The saving of many lives. God's plan for Joseph prevailed because God's sovereign. God's in control. His brothers were certainly responsible for their choices. But we know God is sovereign. A New Testament example, make sure we give one from the Old Testament. Another New Testament example of this at work is in the passage in the narrative, the story of Jesus and the Roman soldiers as Jesus was going to the cross. And as Jesus was nailed on the cross, in our place to pay our price for sins. Peter preached the first sermon in the first church in Jerusalem. Uh, there in Jerusalem, shortly after the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the believers at Pentecost, just as Jesus said, after he 
uh, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose again. He appeared to his followers uh, for a period of 40 days, telling them what's getting ready to happen, what's going on. And shortly before uh, he ascended back into heaven, he said, hey, listen, guys, don't worry. Don't freak out. I'm getting ready to send back to the Father uh, from whom I came. Uh, but when I do, everything's going to work out fine for you because the Father will send another counselor uh, to you to dwell in you. He will be in you. He'll be with you. He's another counselor like me. That'd be the Holy Spirit. And he will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus ascended back into heaven, and that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt in the believers at Pentecost. And Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, then began his ministry. And he preached the very first sermon in the, in the first church in Jerusalem. Uh, shortly after this scene, you find that sermon recorded in Acts chapter 2. And we see Peter in that sermon, in that first sermon, one of his points that he brought out was the sovereignty of God and human responsibility and the balance and the connection there. We see in Acts 2 and verse 22, uh, this is what Luke wrote. Peter is preaching. Luke is recording his sermon. Uh, and so Peter said, men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, there's a sovereignty of God, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The lawless ones, the Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross, were guilty responsible of their sin of nailing Jesus to the cross. Their sin, however, did not hinder, slow, or stop God's plan to provide salvation for all who would believe in Jesus and receive him by faith. It was actually a part of the sovereign plan of God, within that sovereign plan of God. And so we know God's plan prevailed because Jesus Christ rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for you and me. We already know that reality. And we know God's plan prevailed because God is sovereign. He's in control. And we see it all throughout the word. Now, let's bring it home. God does not cause us to sin. God does not condone our sin. We have been given a free will by God to make decisions, to make choices. And our decisions and choices come with consequences. We are responsible for our actions, decisions, and choices, and we're responsible for the consequences of our actions, decisions, and choices. We see this reality in the Word of God and in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote often about the mystery of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. A mystery that we will never fully grasp on this side of heaven. Let me say that again, because I want to make sure everybody hears. A mystery we will never fully grasp on this side of heaven. 
Because God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. The mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility and how that works together is a mystery too great for our finite minds to grasp on this side of heaven. It's true. Now, how that all connects and works out in a real simple, easy, linear solution, it's impossible for us to know. It's impossible. It's beyond our mind. It's beyond our comprehension. And quite honestly, the body of Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ waste ridiculous amounts of time in arguing with one another about who knows how this all works out perfectly according to their perspective. What a colossal waste of time. Let me make that clear again. A colossal waste of time. I think you hear me. I think you're feeling it. It's a mystery. It's clear in the Word of God. It's clear. It's beautiful. It's majestic. It's awesome, quite honestly. It's awesome. But it's a mystery. And we see this tension in the writings, specifically in the New Testament. I love the Apostle Paul. He expressed this tension constantly in his writings. For example, I'll just pick one, the book of Ephesians. It's a fantastic example of this. Paul focused on the sovereignty of God in the first three chapters of Ephesians. I mean, the doctrine is deep and rich the first three chapters of Ephesians, focusing in on the sovereignty of God. Paul focused on human responsibility in the last three chapters of Ephesians. And it is deep and rich. And the transition verse between the first three chapters and the last three chapters is verse, chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul said, Therefore I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received from God in Christ Jesus. And so we see this tension playing out. God is sovereign, yes, he's on his throne, he's in control. And praise the Lord, he is. And yet we walk by faith, day by day, step by step. And we have the free will that God has given to us to make decisions and choices. And we're responsible for those decisions and choices. I love what Dr. Paul ends, a Bible scholar and author said. He said this, sinful acts do not frustrate the plan of God, but neither is God the author of them. They are within the scope of God's decree and are part of his eternal purpose. But man is nonetheless responsible for his own actions. God does not cause us to sin. God does not condone our sin. Praise God, he convicts us of our sin because he desires to provide forgiveness for us so that when he convicts us of our sin, he wants us to confess our sin to him because he loves us, he loves to forgive us, and he wants us to then continue living out his purpose and will and divine plan for our lives. And so we rejoice in God's work in us, through us, and around us. So how should we respond to God's sovereignty? How should we respond to this passage? How should we respond as we read Judges 4, 4, and as we think of the implications of this in our lives? Let me give you several ways in which we respond. Number one, we should stand in awe of God. We should stand in awe of God. Our God is the one true almighty God. We should stand in awe of God. Our God is the supreme ruler of his world. Our God is the supreme ruler of this, his church. Our God is the supreme ruler of our lives and our marriages and our families. We can rejoice that in an out-of-control world, we know, love, follow, and serve an in-control God. 
and the majesty of God's sovereignty should place in us and produce in us an awe of God, a reverence for God, and a passionate desire to worship God because he's more than worthy of our worship, honor, glory, and praise. We know that this response, we are to stand in awe of God and to praise his holy name. The second response is we should humble ourselves before God. When we recognize and understand the greatness of God, when we truly recognize and understand the greatness of God, we will humbly bow before God every day, all through the day. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? Say that with me. Our God is an awesome God. God is in control. We're not. God knows best. We don't. God sees everything. We can't. God knows from beginning to end. We don't. It is right, it is best, and it is good for us to humble ourselves before God every day, all through the day. Because as we humble ourselves before God according to the truth of God's word, God lifts us up in his time with his strength and wisdom and love so that we can live his way. And so we stand in awe of God as we rejoice and praise his name. We humble ourselves before God because he is the one who is in control. The third point, clearly, we walk in obedience to God. We should walk in obedience to God. Obedience is best for us every single day, every step of our way. We should always strive to walk in obedience to God. We are responsible for our actions and decisions. We're responsible for the consequences of our actions and decisions. There's never any good reason for us to disobey God. There's never any good reason for us to disobey God. God's sovereign. He's in control. He knows what's best for us. He loves us most. He does what's best for us. His plan is best for us. So why would we ever think of anything other than walking in obedience to him? It's best. It's best. Paul, again, reminded of this principle. In Galatians chapter 6, what did Paul tell us? He told us this, we reap what we sow. Listen, when we sow obedience to God, we reap the blessings of God. When we sow disobedience to God, we reap the discipline of God. Walking in obedience to God fulfills the commands of God. Just think about it. Walking in obedience to God fulfills the command of God to walk as Jesus walked. Walking in obedience to God fulfills the command to walk worthy of the calling we have received from God in Christ Jesus. Walking in obedience to God fulfills the command to love God. Walking in obedience to God fulfills the command for us to love one another as Christ has loved us. Walking in obedience to God allows us to fulfill the command to live a life of love, imitating God as dearly loved children day by day. By day, walking in obedience to God allows us to make the most of today because we know the day and the time is evil. It allows us to walk as wise, not as unwise, brothers and sisters in Christ. Walking in obedience to God allows us to fulfill the command of God to walk as children of light day by day. You see, as we walk in obedience to God, we are blessed by God. Paul reminded us, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose for our lives is best. He 
He's sovereign. He's in control. And listen, his sovereignty, his purpose, his divine will for our lives is based out of his love for us, based out of his grace to us. It's based out of his wisdom for us. It's best for us. And so we most certainly can stand in awe of him. We can humbly bow before him day by day. We can walk in obedience to him. And the victory is ours in Christ Jesus, not in our strength, in his. Remember, as we humble ourselves for God day by day, he lifts us up in his strength with his strength and wisdom and love to obey him and to live his way. So this we see how this works. We're going we're gonna to stand in awe. We're going to worship him. We're, we're going to humbly bow before him because we know we need him to live for him. And as we bow before him, we're able to live for him. We're able to walk in obedience to him day by day. Knowing that on those points and in those days and in those times where we turn away from him, he'll convict us because he loves us. And because he wants us to confess our sin to him, because he wants us to continue walking according to his purpose and will for lives because it's best for us. And then the fourth response. So we should embrace the blessings of God. And we should embrace the blessings of God. Samson was blessed by God. But... He didn't always embrace the blessings of God. Think about it. Israel was blessed by God. But they didn't always embrace the blessings of God. We are blessed by God. And we need to embrace the blessings of God. Amen? We need to embrace the blessings of God. Listen, the blessings of God are endless. We are blessed with acceptance from God. We are blessed with comfort from God. We are blessed with courage from God. We are blessed with direction from God. We are blessed with discipline from God. We are blessed with encouragement from God. We are blessed with forgiveness from God. We are blessed with faith from God. We are blessed with grace from God. We are blessed with hope from God. We are blessed with help from God. We are blessed with kindness from God. We are blessed with joy from God. We are blessed with love from God. We are blessed with mercy from God. We are blessed with peace from God. We are blessed with salvation from God. We are blessed with significance from God. We are blessed with strength from God. We are blessed with truth from God. We are blessed with wisdom from God. We have received every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 And when we embrace the blessings of God, get this now, when we embrace the blessings of God, we will share the blessings of God with those God places around us because when we embrace the blessings of God, we understand and realize they're good, too good for us to keep for ourselves. And we'll bless those that God places around us. Quite honestly, whether we know them or not, whether we like them or not, whether we want to be around them or not, we'll start to share the blessings of God with them. Because you see, we simply can't keep to ourselves 
what is too great for us to keep. We can't. We can't. We can't. So why? Are we not sharing the blessings of God more with those around us? One reason is because we're not embracing Him ourselves. The enemy has distracted us. temptations, his lies, his accusations discouraged us, turned us away from the Lord. So what God desires today is for us to embrace his blessings fresh and new this morning. And then he desires us to express his blessings. So here's how we embrace God's blessings. How do we embrace God's blessings? Number one, and number one, make sure you understand. Number one, how do we embrace God's blessings? We embrace God's blessings by receiving his gift of salvation by faith in Jesus. They simply do not make any sense, and they won't come into our lives. They won't fill our lives. They won't flood through our lives apart from that salvation that is ours by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We embrace God's blessings by receiving his gift of salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, and we embrace God's blessings as we then in turn give thanks to God for his blessings. So we acknowledge them to our awesome and almighty God, and we thank him truly for our blessings. That means we thank him for one another. That means we thank him for our husband. That means we thank him for our wife. That means we thank him for our children. It means we thank him for our health. That means we thank him for all the blessings that he pours into our lives. We thank him because they're from him. And then as we're thanking him, that embracing turns to expressing. We're so in awe of him. So humble in his presence. We then express, express that. We express his blessings by loving others, by serving others, by encouraging others, by praying with and for others, by blessing others. You see, it flows in us through us and then out to those that God places around us. You see, what God wants this morning, what God wants to happen here, what God wants to happen right now is God wants us to embrace his blessings and God wants us to express his blessings this morning in this moment at this time. Let's bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time of invitation. You know what God's speaking to you.